Hello, and welcome to a show of their own, Sports and Life with Morgan and Laura. I'm Morgan. And I'm Laura, and we have a lot to cover this week. So first, this is going to be like a light baseball week. Yes. Like one thing, but it kind of did take over the world a little bit for a bit there, and it, it happens to involve Morgan's team, and not in the greatest way, but I'm going to let you take it away, Morgan. So... Unwritten rules are the dumbest thing ever. And uh, honestly, I'm sure if you just keep up with sports, you've heard about this, regardless of if you're a Ranger fan or even a baseball fan, because I've seen it cross over to everything. And the, I, God, that series, it was the Rangers were playing the Padres. I think it was game one, so Monday's game. First of all, the Padres hit a grand slam in every single game in that series. Four games. And the Rangers were getting just crushed by the Padres. They were, uh, the Padres were up seven runs, and the, their shortstop, who is just a freaking amazing young player, Fernando Tatis Jr., he had a 3-0 count. He swung at the next pitch, and it was a grand slam. It was a beautiful grand slam. <laughs> Apparently... There is an unwritten rule that you do not swing 3-0 when your team is just blowing out the other team, which I have so many issues with. First of all, if you don't want someone swinging 3-0, don't pitch something hittable. Honestly, okay, here's the thing. So if you don't swing 3-0 when you're up by a lot, why wouldn't you just throw them a ball because what's one more run you're up you're losing by a ton like if exactly. that's really what you want if you really don't want them to swing then throw them like the worst pitch ever right because also again obviously bases were loaded at that point so you want him to just stand there and be like well we're up seven runs and bases are loaded and I'll just stand here and see what happens like that makes no sense whatsoever and I <laughs> So not only did the Rangers manager be like, that's not how the game, well, he didn't even necessarily say that's not how the game is played, but it was more of like his, his quote read more of like, well, back in my day, we didn't do this, but I guess the game is changing kind of thing. It wasn't like a, oh, the game is changing. So that's like, whatever, that probably wouldn't have been um, acceptable when I played, but that's how the game is now and move on. Like, he didn't say it like that. He said it like, well, when you grow up in the game of baseball, blah, 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 and just hard eye roll. But then the Padres manager didn't even, like, back up his his player. He kind of said, like, we're going to have to look at – like, basically he was saying as if, like, he – the sign was to take the pitch and not swing, and he swung, and so therefore he wasn't reading signs correctly. And then the player even apologized for hitting a grand slam, which is just, like, the dumbest thing. Like, if you're a young player, the last thing you need is to hit a grand slam and then be criticized by your manager for it. Yeah, and um, I actually have something, like, really interesting to, because my mom, and, okay, like, fair, just putting this out there, my mom is, like, kind of a little traditional. Yeah. In, in orientation, not, like, unwritten rules, baseball. Right. But, like, we're from Iowa. She's a little more, like, center-right, I would say. So, she's not exactly, like, and, okay, she just turned 60 this year. So, like... Take all of that with what you will. She was saying, because Mike Moustakis, like, apparently was, like, lecturing 
Tatis after this as like the veteran or whatever like this is not what we do or whatever and she was saying for her and I thought this was a sign of how things have changed and it really made me proud of my mom she was saying for her it made her really uncomfortable to see Mike Moustakis a white guy like lecturing yeah. to this young minority like she, she's like it just was really uncomfortable and it looked yeah. really wrong and she's like over something that wasn't like she's like there's nothing wrong with what he did right. and, and so she like there's just so many uncomfortable things of like all of these like and obviously Mike Moustakis isn't like old old or whatever but just like basically crusty white guys yeah, like and who can't it. have who have such fragile feelings mm-hmm. that they can't handle a freaking grand slam? Like, come on. And I think that's a good point because I do think race does play into things like this. Because if Bryce Harper and Mike Trout swung three zero and hit a grand slam in the same situation, I don't think there would have been as like, oh, that's in the unwritten rules. Blah, blah blah. First of all, I've never even heard of this unwritten rule. I get they're unwritten. Blah blah blah. But like. How are you even supposed to know them if they're unwritten anyway? But, like, because the same thing that it uh, made me think of was um, Chicago White Sox player Tim Anderson, I think. Mm -hmm. He, Mm -hmm. early last season, he hit a home run. And, like, it was April. And he flipped his bat, kind of watched it a bit, whatever. It was a good home run. It was his first, it's either his first of the season or first career, maybe both. I think it was his first career home run, maybe, or, like, second. It, it was early. Um, and the next day on MLB Network, I remember this so clearly because it was infuriating. And they were all like, it's only April. Why are you flipping your bat? Blah, 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 blah. Like, just take your home run trot and da, da, da. I'm like, y'all, you cannot have this. If I, if I was a pitcher, I'd be pissed at that, watching your home run, bat flipping, showing me up, da, 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 da. Like, you cannot be full on – let the kids play but then be like no bat flips no watching your home run it's april it doesn't mean much don't like it's just the unwritten rules seem very specific to certain players and situations okay y'all get millions of dollars suck it up yeah deal with it like i get i don't think i mean you can call them unwritten rules or whatever high school, fifth graders, whatever, like, that all makes sense, like, we shouldn't be, if somebody's swinging 3-0 when they're up that much in, like, eighth grade baseball, I think it's fair to be, like, okay, listen, like, (laughs) these are, like, 13-year-olds, like, just chill out a little bit. Yeah, and it, and it wasn't even, like, showing up the Rangers at all, like, it was, like, it was almost, like, instinct, like, this is a good pitch, I could hit it, let's see if I can. Yeah, but honestly, okay, even for 13-year-olds, like, maybe don't swing for the fences if you can help it. But also, I have been at games where coaches straight up tell players, like, oh, leave the bag early so you get thrown out or something in, like, softball when you're mm-hmm. – and it's, like, that's almost worse. Yeah. Because it's, like, okay, like, we're that helpless that you have to, like, intentionally <laughs> get out. Like, yeah. honestly, I think – I just I – just, and, but all of that's beside the point because it's like you're getting millions of dollars. This is called professional sports. Yeah. Like, come on. And the other thing is the Padres haven't, like, been good at holding their leads 
this season or last season. Like, there were plenty of examples that, like, a seven-run lead is not safe for the Padres. Like, they actually the kind of have to run up the score. Not even just the Padres. Like, they juiced the ball last season, and then all yeah. of a sudden it was like no lead was safe. So it's like, come on. I, I don't I mean, know. It's just – it bothers me on so many levels. I thought – I hadn't even really thought about what my mom said – and like, what my mom was talking about until she said it. And yeah. it really made me such a bad daughter. So <laughs> that's such a good point of, like, seeing that and being like, okay, yeah, all these white dudes are, like, so – fragile and like it, like it, this is the biggest example of like snowflake that I've yeah. seen and it's all the people who would probably use the word snowflake is the ironic thing two things about it being the rangers manager saying something first of all being at chris woodward last season he was okay with his players dropping a foul ball so that his pitcher had another chance at getting a strikeout to get his 300th strikeout like, how do you have that situation and be okay with it because it worked out for you and then be mad because essentially the same thing happened in a different context? But also, it being the Rangers, in 2007, the Rangers won a game 30-3. to How are you, like, as a team, okay with saying, like, can't run up the score? 30-3. to How is that not running up the score? Even if you just happen to be, like, I swung, I swung out a pitch that looked good, and it just happened to go out. Like, it just, as a franchise, also looks – it looks bad. And I also I, – I do want to think about, like, who are you even appealing to with this? Because, honestly, like, like I guess, like, the opposite of us maybe you would think about would be, like, the Barstool-type fans. And I read something from them. And they were all just like, okay, so what's the bigger story? Guy takes 3-0 strike or guy hits grand slam? Like, what's the bigger story? What, what, what drives more eyeballs to baseball? So I'm like, if you're not appealing to the barstool crowd, if you're not appealing to us, are you, feel, are you appealing to, like, the four 70-year-olds who care about that shit? Like, honestly, who, are, who do you think – this unwritten rule crap appeals to because I can't even like people I don't necessarily agree with on a lot of things we all agree on this so like who the heck do you think is on your side I don't even get it because I have yet to see anyone agree with what either manager said yeah and I've seen more talk about their comments than like oh he sung 3-0 and hit a grand like so okay let's say he took that pitch and made and it made it 3-1 let's say can he swing on 3-1 if it's the same let's say that that 3-0 pitch became a 3-1 pitch and he hit a grand slam is that okay because it was 3-1 not 3-0 yeah so where does the unwritten rule end and and have these unwritten rules it's like I don't it's almost like it's just a rule because I say it, because I don't like the opposite. Like, yeah. well, that's not a good reason to have a rule. It's a rule because it hurts someone's ego, and usually it's the pitcher's ego. Which, Snowflake, is going <laughs> to put it out there. Like, you can't handle it. If your ego can't handle that, well, okay, honestly, you're getting paid enough. Like, suck it up. Deal yeah. with it. And then the fact that that was, like, game one of the series, and then we had three more games against them, and they proceeded to hit a Grand Slam in each of those games was just icing on the cake. 
I kind of do feel like it's karma. Sorry, I know that's your team, but like. Oh, no, I feel like it was karma, too. <laughs> like, I was like, yeah, y'all kind of deserved that. And and apparent, and then yesterday, the Padres were playing. I don't even know who they were playing yesterday, but they also had a Grand Slam, so they've now had a Grand Slam in five straight games, um, which I'm happy for them. <laughs> But I just, like, if the Rangers weren't hard enough to watch this season as it is, like, that just felt like the moment when it was just, like, even the team was kind of just over it. Like, after those comments, like, even the team just kind of seemed like, oh, we didn't, we wish he didn't say that. Because I don't think I've seen any comments from even, like, the pitcher who gave up the Grand Slam or anything. Like, it's just exhausting is what it is. Well, and the one thing I will say did is good that kind of came out of this because that Tatis is like amazing, mm-hmm. and San Diego isn't exactly like the world's biggest baseball market, um, and so like it, it. On the one hand, it's good to have like such a talent on a team that he can maybe hopefully help drive some viewership and some passion and all of this. But this controversy, hey, it got people talking about the Padres. Like, yeah, doesn't really happen a lot. Yeah. So like, and. The other thing is in Woodward's comment specifically, I do remember him saying along the lines of like, when you grow up in baseball, blah, 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 blah. And it's like Tatis Jr.'s dad played in baseball and was a good baseball player. So he also grew up in baseball and he knows these quote unquote unwritten rules. Like let's, if you're going to be, if your, your theme of MLB is going to be let the kids play, then freaking let them play. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I honestly like on we we should like write down the unwritten rules and just like have a ceremonial burning or something because this is so insane and really if you look at unwritten rules they from the ones I can remember and the ones that I know of they are all in regards to um not showing up the pitcher it's like come on pitchers seem to have the biggest ego but also the most fragile yeah and it's like honestly okay Pitching, a huge part of pitching is mental. Mm-hmm. If you can't handle that, you don't have the mental fortitude to be a pitcher. Sorry. Just going to say it. But anyways, on, the, on the, the, the same theme of just like venting about random things, I titled this section Hockey Men Behaving Badly mm-hmm. because there's a few of them. Um, and I'm going to switch up the order I did. Because I think this, the, we're going to start with the one that I think is less egregious. Alan Walsh. If you're thinking, who the heck is that? Well, you haven't been on hockey Twitter. <laughs> he is a hockey agent who is known for his, like, obnoxious tweets. He, for a while, I don't know if he has since figured it out, but for a while he never knew how to thread tweets. So he'd write these long diatribes and he'd just be like one of... 15 and you'd have to just like keep looking through without Ugh. being in a thread and he some of the stuff he would say was like really interesting like he was kind of the public figure going after the commissioner for like the olympic participation and stuff like that which is interesting and not something that a lot of players agents that were publicly talking about so it was like there's some stuff that his lack of filter is interesting but then there's this now, if you don't know, Marc-Andre Fleury, he used to play for my Pittsburgh Penguins, and then in the 2016 playoffs, the first of the Penguins back-to-back Stanley Cups, he got hurt, and 
Matt Murray came in and kind of stole the um, job a little bit and won the Stanley Cup and then, of course, won it again next year. And so everyone kind of knew that Flurry, they're like, they're two, you can't have two starting goalies. So then Vegas picked him in the expansion draft and he was the starting goalie and he got them to the Stanley Cup final their first year. Um, but it's like all that to say he's been well-versed in fighting for a job and that kind of thing and losing the starting position and being very gracious about it. He and Matt Murray famously had a really good relationship. So then this year he had his kind of worst year ever with Vegas, was not doing well. So the trade deadline was like at the end of February and it was right obviously a couple weeks before this season ended up getting suspended and Vegas acquired Robin Leonard from Chicago who was who has been a consistently elite goaltender for the past couple seasons and so everyone was like wow like he's a good and I think anyone if you look at their numbers this season Robin Leonard is clearly superior Mm -hmm. and especially considering Robin Leonard had the better raw save percentage and Marc-Andre Fleury had like 15 times better defense in front of him than Robin Leonard played for Chicago. Like, to say he had a defense in front of him is a bit of a stretch. Like, (laughs) he had players there who maybe accidentally got in the way of a puck at one point. Like, (laughs) Chicago has no defense to speak of. And so, for Robin Leonard to put up the numbers that he did was amazing. And so, like, to me, I was always like, I hope they don't start flurry just because he's their guy because mm-hmm. Leonard's better well of course Vegas had fired their coach midseason and now they had Pete DeBoer and DeBoer seemed inclined to start Leonard more than Flurry. he was doing a little bit of rotating but he seemed more inclined to start Leonard well apparently it seemed like the decision for the second round was to start Leonard and we figured that out not because of anything Vegas said but because Alan Walsh who happens to be Marc-Andre Fleury's agent tweets this like artistic rendering photo of Marc-Andre Fleury in goal with like a big sword through his back and then on the sword it says the name DeBoer the coach and it's just like oh my god you you can't be serious because Marc-Andre Fleury has never shown anything like that lack of class or anything like that but it makes him look bad so then of course it's up for forever and then just this morning they're like, oh, no, pregame media for Vegas. And we're like, great. So now we just get to sit there and marinate on this thing. Well, then the tweet comes down with the photo. And Marc-Andre Fleury is the only one to do any media. And I have some quotes. I'm here to win with my team and have success. That's what matters. We all want to win. That's why we're here. I really like Robin. We have a good friendship. And I think he's a really good bully also. There are no hard feelings. And then... Regarding the picture that came up, I just wanted to say that Alan has been my agent for a long time. I've known him since I was 15. I really appreciate his passion for the game. I think it was a way to defend me for not playing much, but I'm here to win for my team. He apparently asked Alan Walsh to delete the tweet, which Alan Walsh did. Um, Flurry said he met with Pete DeBoer and Kelly McCrimmon, who's the GM, yesterday. Bottom line is we all want to win. That's why we're here. I don't like being a distraction for my team. Here's the thing. I kind of think, I love Flurry. He's a great guy and all of that. And clearly, he did not, I think it's pretty obvious that he did not know this was happening. Right. However, I think in his effort to be nice, like, he's 
Alan Walsh's client. He has the right to say, that's messed up. Yeah. But he, I, it almost seemed like he was kind of defending it. Not saying it was right, because obviously he said he asked him to delete it and stuff. Like, hey, don't anyone be mean to him. It's like, listen, he makes a percentage of what you make. Yeah. He bets money because you're his client. You can say, he messed up. I told him he messed up. He won't do this ever again. Like, I tell, I've talked to the team. We're all on the same page. I'm good. And I've, like, he will, he, like, Alan Walsh will be fine. But it's just, I don't know. I, it kind of felt a little weak to me what he said. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm glad that it got addressed and he deleted it and all that. And Robin Leonard replied to everything and clearly was okay. Robin Leonard is honestly, like, this kind of little stuff, ultra impressive to me as a person. He, obviously, if you know his story about getting diagnosed as um, bipolar and PTSD and all of his struggles and stuff like that, but how he is now, the account, the self-accountability that he has and just the maturity and everything about him is, is really impressive. And so I wouldn't, I didn't think that it would be a problem for him, but it's kind of, that's kind of almost besides the point. It's a distraction for the entire team and for the media and for everyone. And it's just, I don't know. I don't know why Alan Walsh gets left off, let off the hook. Like a lot of media and stuff isn't because it's like, yeah, he kind of, he kind of just sucks as, as a hockey agent. He's just, he's not, he doesn't understand his place of like, and this is where I guess unwritten rules and all of that, but it's like, you're an agent. You're not the star. Like chill out. Yeah, exactly. And it's almost like, what's the point? Like, why are you posting that? Like, what's it going to do beneficially for you or your client? It has no, there's no benefit to either of them because now you're talking about him and you're talking about Mark Andre Fleury and he essentially is apologizing for something his agent did. And then the, like the whole team has Twitter, has access to social media. Obviously they're going to see that. And that is a distraction for the team, especially going into second round of playoffs. Like that's the last thing you want to be thinking about. It just doesn't make sense. Like what's the purpose? Well, and that's why I think they they shut down the the pregame media stuff that they normally do. Because like everyone would have to answer for that. Like, okay, see, you're just like, all kinds of these unnecessary problems. But anyways, that was the, the easy one to talk about. Yeah. The next one, oh my God. Mike Milbury, which I just have to say, in my family, he is, I, I dub him Mike Shoe Milbury. And this is relevant because when he was a player, there was like a brawl or something at the game. He literally, Literally, and literally is the right thing here. He literally went into the stands and beat a fan with a shoe. This is a thing that happened. He is nuts. He is just not. And and it always bothered me that he was a commentator because I'm like, we're talking to a guy who was a terrible coach, did terrible things at GM, legendarily bad trades, and beat a guy with a shoe. What, What was his position when he beat a guy with a shoe? I think he was a player. It was insane. Look, I never even knew who he was until like this week. I just, cause I don't pay attention to national broadcast cause I don't really like national broadcast, but whatever. 
But then when I've heard like reading about him, I'm like, how did I not know who he was? Which also thank God I didn't know who he was because I probably would have just been ranting every day about him. I'm going to, I'm pulling this up because there is a section of his, his Wikipedia called shoe incident. And oh. yeah, Milbury gained notoriety for what occurred following a 4-3 Bruins victory over the New York Rangers at Madison Square Garden on December 23rd, 1979. During an on-ice fray between the players from both sides, a Rangers fan cut Stan Jonathan's face with a rolled-up program and grabbed his hockey stick. Terry O'Reilly climbed over the plexiglass and went into the stands in pursuit of the offender, followed by Peter McNabb and other teammates. Milbury, who had actually reached the visitor's locker room when his teammates started going into the stands, raced back to join his colleagues in the brawl. He caught the unruly spectator, removed one of his shoes, and while holding the heel end, slapped him hard once with the sole side before being restrained. Subsequently, NHL president John Ziegler suspended O'Reilly for eight games and McNabb and Milbury for six, with each being fined $500. The incident also resulted in the installation of higher glass panels and closing rinks in hockey arenas. All of this to say, if that happened now like you would never play then not just like six games yeah and also I was my one question was where did he get the shoe from he took the fan's shoe like off of him and hit he hit the guy with his own shoe so this is the guy who is the national commentator for NBC it's so embarrassing it's so embarrassing and he says things that are dumb all the time and Katie String has this really great piece about what he recently said. Because before all this, he was accusing um, Jake Muzzin of the Toronto Maple Leafs of yes. faking and selling an injury when he lost feeling below his legs because of a neck injury and had to go to the hospital. Yeah, I'm sure he was really faking that. Definitely, like, went all out on the faking to, like, get hospitalized and all of that, of course. And then... Also, like, blamed Tuka Rask for leaving when what happened was he was already struggling because he had his wife had just given birth mm-hmm. and, like, obviously he's missed his family. And then, his, like, one of his daughters got sick. Like, come on. And so he's, he, like, all the time says things that are just absolutely ignorant and obnoxious or whatever. But then, this happens. And so John Forsland, who I think is an amazing broadcaster that um, the Hurricanes are apparently having contract issues with. So I'm hoping if the, even if they can't have him it'd be the Carolina guy that hopefully NBC will increase his national broadcast. And Brian Boucher, who is like, I don't think he's like the greatest broadcaster ever, but has some interesting things, pretty well spoken and all that. The two of them are kind of talking about, obviously, there's a lot of downsides to the bubble. But there are some, like, positives to it and, like, teams leaning into that. And Boucher says this. If you think about it, it's a terrific environment with regard to if you enjoy playing and enjoy being with your teammates for long periods of time, it's a perfect place. Kind of to the point of, like, there just are no outside distractions, which I think is super valid. Like, you can just focus on playing hockey. Everyone knows what he's saying with that. Everyone knows what he means. And it's a very valid point of, like, don't just talk about the negatives. There are some positives. Right. Milbury has to add this. It's the 
if it's the perfect place, Milbury responded, not even any women here to disrupt your concentration. And here's the thing. I saw some idiots saying that like, oh yeah, well, it's just saying like, like, like women, that can be a distraction or whatever. And it's like, okay, but the way he said it made it seem like the fact that, that like guys and gals and all of that, that would be the woman's fault, not the fact that a hockey player can't keep it in his, in his pants for like a few weeks. And that's the thing. It's like, okay, could relationships and sex and all of that be a distraction? Yes, but that would be the fault of the hockey players, not the fault of the women. The way he phrased it, it's like, oh, these poor innocent dudes and like women just show up and what can they do? It's like... It, it kind of reminds me like, um, like, because this is something that's also been talked about a lot, uh, like school dress codes, how girls can't wear like spaghetti straps or whatever because it's too distracting to to mm-hmm. the boys it's like so why are the girls being punished because boys can't just like mind their own business and like That's, focus it, you know it honestly reminded me of the Duggars because they yeah. have this thing where like if they're out in public and there's a scantily clad lady they somebody will say Nike and then that means the guys are supposed to look at their shoes Oh my God. Because, you know, guys can't help it. And they also talk about like women dressing a certain way so not to defraud men. And it's like, come on. Like, do, and that's kind of what Milbury sounded like. It's just so yeah. stupid. But we had some statements. And first was NBC's, which is t- so lame. We're disappointed about Mike's insensitive comment and have addressed it with him. Wow, great. Really take a stand there. Yeah. And then, of course, Milbury said, I sincerely apologize for making the comment. It was not my intention to disrespect everyone. I was trying to be irreverent and took it a step too far. It was a regrettable mistake that I take seriously. Which is like, okay, you don't even know what you did wrong. If, you t- if that's your statement, whatever. Yeah. The best, the best statement was the actual NHL who said, the National Hockey League condemns the insensitive and insulting comment that Mike Milbury made during last night's broadcast and we have communicated our feelings to NBC. The comment did not reflect the NHL's values and commitment to making our game more inclusive and welcoming to all. And I will say it sure seems like they backed that up because uh, Milbury was supposed to call the Philly Montreal game six and which was on Friday and he was taken off that and it has since been announced that he will not be on any more of the playoff games, which I think is pretty obvious sign that the NHL went, listen, he can't be on. There are like 20 bajillion people who can comment on games, find someone better. And beyond just this incident, like Katie Strang for The Athletic wrote this great article and it's just like they're, 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 we, ha- we deserve so much better than it's like um um what Milbury has to offer because he doesn't give anything I'm pulling up a comment 
it's not just me and it's not just other women. That's way too reductive and simplistic. And it's selling too many people far short of what they deserve. It's every hockey fan who is capable of thinking critically, wondering why someone who routinely offends, belittles, and dismays seems to be continually trotted out despise, despite what seems like little appetite for what he has to offer. And I think she makes a point there where it's like, okay, of course we're not saying everyone who says anything a little bad should be removed off the earth. That's like a straw man argument. No one is saying that. And if this had been Brian Boucher, for instance, I think it's fair to be like, okay, we took him off for a game or something and maybe even make him address it on air. But he has not, for one, he has a history of making comments that are interesting and he doesn't have a history of comments like this. Milbury doesn't have either of these. What he adds is stupid. No, like, no, there's nothing he really brings to a broadcast. And he has a, a history of making insensitive, ignorant comments, both of which should be disqualifying. Yeah. Like, at very least, we should get, want someone on the air who gives us interesting insight. Mm -hmm. That's not too much to ask. And um, one thing from this I've seen is a lot of the uh, players' wives and girlfriends speaking up about it. And, like, some of the comments they've said have been like really like excellent points um one that I saw on Tumblr was from I think her name's Lindsay Gray I'm not I think she's wife or girlfriend of Zach McEwen I don't know okay. if I said that right um and she wrote on her Instagram story to be a woman labeled as as a distraction, taking away from your partner's goals is belittling and disgusting. These women, specifically the ones with children, have sacrificed so much more than you would ever know so their partners can live their dreams. Hockey has always had a boys club reputation. Having a man in a position of such influence spewing these beliefs makes it seem okay for other men to think this way and perpetuates the vicious cycle of treating women as lesser beings. We have our own dreams and aspirations that we work on while while holding down the fort, raising the family, and getting shit done without their without their presence. We do not exist for the pleasure of men. And I freaking loved that very, like, concise statement. Like, it's just perfect. Um, I did see this thing that I thought was interesting. So, apparently, one thing Boucher did say that was pretty effed up is that something about, like, the Capitals being older and that meaning that they have more worries at home with like wives and children and something and implying like the Islanders don't have that. So they're not concerned. And Sydney Sizen Martin, who is married to Matt Martin and gave birth like weeks before they went into the bubble, uh, kind of made the point they have 25 children between all of the Islanders players and two on the way. So like really no. Like, Every, every team has these things, like, just, just ignore those, like, and honestly, I just think hockey commentators aren't equipped to discuss that, like, I think it would be interesting if you had, like, Patrick Sharp, who has uh, kids and stuff, and talking about, like, okay, his experience in the playoffs versus what he would imagine, like, the bubble and stuff like that, like, that would be an interesting conversation, but not, like, these ignorant stuff, so, all of that to say, I'm just hockey men. They're and this reminded me of a 
baseball broadcaster this week that got in trouble because I totally forgot about it. Um, because I think it, it might have been the same day Milbury made oh, his Oh, yeah, comments. the Reds announcer. Yeah. So I don't want to say the quote because it it's, has a derogatory term in there. But yeah, we're he, not going to say it. Yeah. But he thought his mic was not on, which I think is shows his character better than anything else because what you say when you think no one else is hearing is clearly what you truly think. Um, it was a derogatory term towards the LGBTQ community, and it was a day they had a doubleheader. So I believe he said it in game one, and then game two, he made his quote-unquote apology, which literally he did it during the game. In the middle of his apology, someone hit a home run, so he interrupted his apology to do a very stoic call of the home run, then go back to his apology. And by the way, apology very loosely because he didn't even apologize to the group he offended. He apologized to anyone he offended, but he didn't specifically say the LGBT community. He apologized to, obviously, the people who write his check. And I believe he's been suspended. I don't think he's been fired. Uh, but yeah, so a lot, of, a lot of men this week are being garbage. And the thing to on your national point, television to your point about like he didn't know it was a hot mic and stuff, but like the way he just threw that around, he's clearly said that during yeah plenty of times, and that's like that that's scary because it's like what kind of hostile work in, environment did he make? Not just for like other commentators or reporters or something, but for camera people and audio people and all of these other people who. Yeah don't have much power in that situation and he clearly has much more power than them and it's like you like that alone is why he should be fired and he should have like if if the broadcast knew that that because like this can't be the first time he's done that and if the broadcast yeah. had was aware of that they should have fired him Honestly, okay, if he says it one time and, you're, and you want to be like, okay, you are on severe pro- probation, literally anything you do wrong, if you show up five minutes late, you're fired. Like, that kind of thing. But then the second time he does that, out. Or if this was, like, the second thing he did, out. Because it's like, you can't have that. And he very much said it like he's comfortable using that word. Yeah. And it's just, it's, it would be one thing if it was, like, something like quoting a song or something. Still wouldn't be right. Still would need a lot of addressing. But I could see how you could say that it wasn't, like, oh, he was just so comfortable and this is just his thoughts and stuff. Mm -hmm. But when it's your words, when you're just throwing that out there, it's like you are the one creating the hostile work environment. You are the one making this completely inappropriate. And especially because of what the quote was, and obviously if you don't know what it is, you can look it up. I'm not going to say it. Um, The Athletic has like three different articles talking about it. Um, Like I don't understand the context of any conversation that that would be a, a sentence that comes out of your mouth. Yeah. It just seemed so random because also, like, it's not like there was any chatter from the other broadcaster with him around before or after that. It was just, like, he said it, and then they went straight into, like, a Reds 
like advertisement thing that they have to read like it just no sense no and there was no context but also there's not any context that would make that better um I just want to know why he thought that was even okay to say like yeah and it's just the way he said it like he just said it like it was the most casual thing in the world exactly and it's just yeah it's it, it it's frustrating and yeah so and yeah it, and it I think both of these make it obvious why we need like pride nights and why we need like more like inviting situations for women and LGBTQ and people of color to feel invited to sporting events because then you have guys like this who are covering it and if they can just say this garbage without a care in the world why would I want to go to a game and where everyone's hearing that too and like is that their thought as well I do want to point out because I think this is it kind of ties in with some of this stuff Mm -hmm. Steve, Steve Dangle our favorite human ever tweeted this last night and I thought it was a good point says Mike Milbury women are a distraction Alan Walsh, butt naked, covered head to toe in peanut butter, flailing a broom he lit on fire. Ayo, my client's team can eat shit. And it's like, okay, to the point, like, women are this big distraction, but they're in this bubble, and this hockey agent can tweet about, like, a team stabbing a goalie in the back. It's like, don't think women are the distraction. Right. So, props to Steve Dang on that. He went to the gym. That's no surprise. Um, one other piece of news that I wanted to bring up that happened just this morning. We're recording this on Sunday afternoon-ish. Um, and Todd Reardon, who was uh, in year two of a four-year contract with uh, the Washington Capitals, was fired. Um, this is after, so just some history. Barry Trotz, in his last year with the Washington Capitals, won the Stanley Cup. He had an option like there was an option for um, the Capitals for an extension, but it didn't pay very well. And so he didn't want it. And for some reason, the Capitals were like, eh, he just won the Stanley Cup, but we're not going to see if we can pay him more money or anything. Like they might have offered him a little more, but nothing serious. And so then the Islanders swoop in and offer him a ton more money. And he's like, yep, got it. Gone. Bye. And so I think they just didn't realize how important Barry Trotz was, and they promoted his assistant, Todd Reardon, who this is the second year in a row they've been out in the first round. I think the first year, you can reasonably say, like, crap happens because they lost in overtime of a game seven to the Carolina Hurricanes, who then made it to the conference finals. Like, I think that's a reasonable thing to say, like, meh crap happens yeah. but then they lost pretty handily to the New York Islanders and I think the thing that really made the decision is Reardon was way out coached by Barry Trotz which honestly isn't a surprise because Barry Trotz is one of the best coaches in hockey he's like such a defensive mastermind so he doesn't have a ton of talent on the Islanders but he just has a system that they all are so committed to and run so well and so that's not a surprise but I mean honestly it's kind of more on the GM and owner of the Capitals for not being willing to pay him more because it's like coaching matters and he had proven it literally that year that you let him walk so sorry but 
I, I thought it was interesting. I don't know who they'll get. I think if you wanted Dallas to get um, Gerard Gallant, there might be a little bit of a competition now. I don't know who else. <laughs> Although, who knows? Maybe if, like, uh, Jim Montgomery, since he's, like, gone to rehab and stuff like that, mm-hmm. I don't think Dallas would give him the job back just because of all the stuff that had happened. Yeah. But it's possible Washington could want him because he's – and it's similar to trust like pretty good at like the defensive scheming and stuff like that so could be interesting I don't know I don't know who Washington exactly would hire but there's gonna there's a lot of interesting coaches who are available um Mike Babcock is an interesting one for Washington just because of like the Alex Ovechkin kind of thing Mm -hmm. I don't know if that would work for either the coach or the team but it's just there's a lot of interesting choices out there so it'll be interesting to see in the short off season who all these teams get for coaches so that's your little breaking news of the day and then I thought we would end with some predictions and um, discussion about all of the round two matchups so we're going to start with the game that ha- the only game that's been played so far, Dallas Colorado. I thought this was kind of stunning because if you said, okay, first game the score is 5-3, who wins? I think most people are going to guess Colorado. Uh-huh. I think you think it's a, if it's a high-scoring game that bodes really well for Colorado, if it's a low-scoring game that bodes really well for Dallas. And lo and behold, it was Dallas who won. And I think um it was really, it was really interesting. Um, the one thing I will say, you should all look at Morgan's ice time. The people who were in the top were puzzling. Yeah. Because it was Faxa and Como, right? Yeah. Uh, let me pull that up. But I was just, I was looking at it. I was like, <laughs> eh, I don't know about that. Like, it's still, Rick Bonus is always going to Rick Bonus things up. But yeah, so Como was final ice time was seventeen forty two, Faxa was seventeen twenty, and Pavelski was seventeen oh seven. I also usually I do, I only include bottom three, top mm-hmm. three for final, but I also included um, the uh, Sagan Ben Radulov line because between them they had eight points in just mm-hmm. game one, which I think they had like six or seven points in, in the entirety of round one. And usually one of them is always in the top three, if not mm-hmm. two of them. Well, on the night that they, between them, get eight points, Radulov had two goals. Uh, I think Sagan had a goal. Ben had three assists, I think. That math doesn't sound right, mm-hmm. but just go with me on it. Sagan ended with 15.57, Ben with 14.55, and Rads with 14.38. Didn't really make that much sense. I would have thought since they were all, like, in, like, their prime during that game they would be the top three honestly and if you're thinking about it of like okay if you want to like try to score goals which I mean is kind of a good thing to do in hockey it would seem to me that if your lines are Sagan uh Ben Radulov Pavelski Hintz Gurionov Faxa, Como, Cogliano, and whoever else is on the third line, that those top two lines should have the bulk of your ice time. Well, they also changed the second line because I think the second line was Yanmark, Pavelski, and Gurionov. Oh, yeah, because Yanmark's back. Yeah. Which, okay, I'm sorry. I think Yanmark should be on the third line. Oh, he definitely should be. Um, I, I picked 
my picks for this round before the game. I, during the game, wanted to change it, but also I now have a superstition of I won against the Stars in the first round, so I won a... I did not pick the Stars for the second round. Sorry, Stars. I didn't. I picked Colorado because, honestly, the Stars scare me. I do, they don't have the consistency, and I just don't. Also, I was like, if I pick the Stars, I don't want to jinx them, so I picked Colorado. Um, I did give them seven games. I picked Colorado in seven. Um, but then Colorado's goalie got injured, um, so that also made me want to, like, change to the Stars, but also I don't want to jinx them, like I said. Mm-hmm. So I'm sticking with Colorado in seven, but I don't necessarily believe that's what my heart believes. <laughs> from a lot of what I saw from the Stars in the first round, I would have been – really confident in Colorado just because Nathan McKinnon is I think unquestionably the best player remaining in the playoffs Mm -hmm. and they have Gabriel Landeskog, Nico Rantanen and even like defensively obviously Dallas would have the advantage but Kale McCarr and Sam Gerrard are two young good defensemen who I think stack up really well against Jermiro Heiskin and John Klingberg like the top two on both teams are like very good the thing that I think is the interesting, like, discussion point. So you have your, like, comparing defense firepower. So I think you would probably c- compare, like, maybe Miro Heiskanen to Kale McCarr, in which case I might give a slight advantage to Colorado for Kale McCarr, but Miro Heiskanen is really good too. But then you have John Klingberg and Sam Gerrard, and I would definitely give John Klingberg the edge there. Then you have Eric Johnson and Esalen Dow, and I might give a little bit of an advantage to Eric Johnson, except he got hurt. And so it's, like, a really interesting, like, going forward, how's this all going to work out? Um even though it was five to three, I thought Anton Hudobin looked good. Mm-hmm. And just given even before injuries and all of that, if you looked at the names, I even without Ben Bishop, I would probably pick Anton Hudobin over any goalie available on either team. And so I think that that, that bodes well for Dallas. Um, I, I think, like you said, seven games is an interesting prediction, and I think it could realistically go that well. Far, it just kind of in this case. It seems to me like a series after watching the first game that could reasonably like there will be game there will be series where you'll see a theme throughout the series I think Calgary was a little bit of that where it was like the Calgary that you saw kind of carried throughout after they lost Matthew Kachuk it just didn't look like a really great team I think this one could be a series where trends maybe don't carry completely one game to the next they yeah. see different teams in different games yeah and the thing going back to our quick hitter and freeing Dennis Gurionov he had 13 minutes and three seconds of ice time the game after he scored four goals five points and that being his ice time the only two people who had less ice time was Perry and Yanmark which makes sense but the fact that he's in the bottom three doesn't. Oh, also, Hint scored a goal. That's very important. Um, I just wanted to make sure I pointed that one out. But so early on in the season, well, not early on season, early on this year, me and a couple other stars, people on Twitter, joked that if Gurionov scored a goal, he got punished by not getting more ice time after that goal. 
because it always seems like if he scored a goal in the first period, then like suddenly he was benched for the rest of the period is what it felt like. And so I, after looking at like the first period ice times, it felt like bonus was going back to punishing the players who scored goals, which looking at Radulov's ice time was felt oddly low for him because I have seen him get 15 minutes easily in games that he's gotten penalties in. So the fact that he had two goals and he didn't have 15 minutes was just shocking because usually him and Sagan easily get 17 minutes a game. And so for that top line to finally be back and just like complete like beast mode, like I I texted Laura, I was like, I think I offended them in the quick hitter for saying they were unnoticeable because now they've got eight points in one game. But then to like not get that over 15 minutes ice time, like had become regular for them. It's just bizarre and same with Kiryanov. And then even, like, Rope Hint's finally getting a goal. He's still in the middle of the pack at ice time. And granted, Como got a goal in that game. But I don't know if he should have been leading ice time because of that one goal. It, okay, it doesn't matter. Like, they could get <laughs> a bunch of goals. They could get no goals and have a bunch of goals against or whatever. That FCC line is just, like, always going to get a ton of ice time and everything else is a little bit of a crapshoot except Dennis Kuryanov is literally never going to get a bunch of ice time like it's the the Dimitri Filipovich like this doesn't get him 15 minutes I don't know if it's even possible and it's not apparently like it takes overtime to get Kuryanov like 15 overtime minutes. or losing to nothing yeah and he's like oh my god so yeah all this to say I'm really <laughs> desperate I'm not even like like, obviously, Morgan, you're a Stars fan. I'm not even, like, a Stars fan. But just for the good of hockey, Rick Bonus should not be a head coach anywhere. Like, not even the Detroit Red Wings. Because it's like, if he did that, Dylan Larkin, who's, like, the only that, uh, let's say, Bertuzzi, Larkin, Manta, which is, like, the only NHL-caliber line, probably uh-huh. have 10 minutes. You know, like... I honestly believe in the game one, they did so well because they just stopped listening to Rick Bonus. At least, maybe not for ice time, because clearly the ice times were weird and they were very Rick Bonus logic of having no logic to them. Uh, But I firmly believe they went on the ice and like, here's what we're really going to do. Let's just ignore what he just told us on the bench and we're going to play our game. Um, Honestly, so... And, and I think it was something that Eddie Olchek talked about on the broadcast of, like, the timeouts and how they uh-huh. work. And it's, like, the coach will say a few things, and then yes. all of a sudden there's, like, 15 people talking, and, like, no one's really listening, and it's just, like, this whole chaotic thing. Like, honestly, that's probably better for the stars. If you have, like, Ben, really? Sagan, Pavelski, all those people just, like, talking, talking, talking. Yeah, because then they also made the point, and then they get to the face-off dot, and they're still talking. It's like, just ignore the coach. I'm like, yeah, they, that's probably beneficial to the stars, actually. Yeah, like, okay, in, in New York, they should definitely not ignore Barry Trotz, instead of, especially yeah. in the kind of situation the stars were in, where you're trying to defend a lead. Definitely don't ignore Barry Trotz on that, but, like, right. Rick Bonus. I mean, I don't even know what you would, yeah, just ignore. <laughs> ignore. Um, but let me pull up the next. So the other one in the the West, ironically enough, we were talking about this in another way, but it's Vegas, Vancouver. And I have Vegas in this one. Me I too. think it, it's interesting if like some stuff, like depending on what happens, Jacob Markstrom could reasonably be an X factor because he can go in God mode yeah. and is really good. However, I think it sounds like they're playing Robin Leonard and Robin Leonard is 
pretty comparable to Jacob Markstrom. So unless he like goes into absolute beast mode, I don't think it's like a huge, huge advantage. I think the big difference, because you look at the offensive firepower, and I think it's actually like there's some similarities, like Elias Pedersen, Bo Horvat, Brock Besser, like that's all good. Um, but then you got Mark Stone, Max Petretti, William Carlson, like that's all good too. I think the big difference is defense. If you look at the defense that Vegas has, like besides Quinn Hughes for Vancouver, like there's Nate Schmidt, Shay Theodore, Brayden McNabb, Nick Holden, all of that. All of those like would be second maybe only to Quinn Hughes in Vancouver. And Vancouver just their defense isn't that great. And their bottom six is, eh. Like, there, there's some players there. I think the thing that's hard, and it's hard to me to, like, reset my mind on this, is Vancouver paid people, like, three to five million dollars in that range. There's a bunch of players they paid who are not worth that money. That doesn't mean they're not, like, decent players. So it's hard to, like, separate the contract from the player. Like, okay, it doesn't matter what they're paid. Like, they're still decent players. I just, to me, if I'm playing the odds, I think Vegas. Yeah, I I think for this round, picking uh, the teams has been like the most unsure I've ever been in any bracket mm-hmm. ever. Just because there are truly arguments for each team in this in these rounds. And usually I feel like even in round two, when we're down to eight teams, you could pick a team that like looks stronger than their opponent whereas like I almost feel like every every matchup is fairly even yeah I think the west there's a little more like although Dallas Colorado already proved that's wrong but like like I think if you're playing the odds in the west Colorado and Vegas would be the choice I think in the east the odds are tougher yeah so I I I also picked Vegas. I picked in seven, but I think that was mostly just because I don't really know who I really truly think can win that. I kept going back and forth. So when I go back and forth on the teams, I pick a team, but I make it go in seven because then I'm like, okay, that'll go back and forth for so long that I won't care if I'm wrong. Yeah, I I, I think Vegas. I think the East is the harder one. The first one I wanted to start with is Philly, New York. Mm-hmm. The thing that I think is tough is I think if you asked me going into the playoffs, I would pick Philly and it wouldn't be a lot of hesitation mm-hmm. around that because Philly was like going into the break was the hottest team. So good and like on paper, so much better than New York. Um, the issue being Philly has like not been able to score Yeah, in these playoffs. So they're, like, top they, – they have this graphic on NBC. It was, like, their top five scorers. They got their first goal in the last – the first playoff goal in the last game against Montreal was Kevin Hayes. But, like, Claude Giroux, zero goals. Sean Couturier, zero goals. Uh, James Van Riems, like, zero goals. I think Jake Voracek doesn't have any goals. Like, that's insane. So mm-hmm. you look at all of that, and you're like, hmm – I, Philly just doesn't look like they have it. Like, they kind of skated through 
on Montreal just because they were way out talented Montreal. But then you looked at how New York is playing and said, I don't know if they can do that. So I, 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 I had a really hard time picking this one. I want to think that Philly will rise to the level of their competition, but like maybe they were playing down a little bit because Montreal was not supposed to be like, they were the 24th of the 24 qualifying teams. Mm -hmm. Um, But I'm not sure I could reasonably see New York winning. Yeah. I picked the Islanders mostly because I was just really unimpressed with how Philly played against Montreal. I was surprised that, how good Montreal looked in some of those games Um, because I just kind of expect the Flyers to just like completely own Montreal and go 4-0 and be done with it so that's why I picked the Islanders I also picked this series to go seven games though just because I could see the Flyers being more competitive against them but something about the Islanders just seemed like they could really take that series now, a little bit of an X factor, and I don't know if he would actually come back or not, but Oscar Lindblom is now in the bubble and has practiced That's right. with the Flyers, and it would be hard to, so he had um, treatment for Ewing sarcoma, which included chemo, so who knows how, he was like amazing when he went out, he was like kind of the big rookie surprise for the Flyers. So who knows how exactly well he would be when he comes back. But it also could be like a galvanizing thing. So if he was able to come back, I think that would be an interesting little mm-hmm. tidbit. But um, just also a good story anyways. He's he's so sweet. And so that was just exciting. And it was kind of cool to see. So Kevin Hayes, I mentioned, scored his first playoff goal mm-hmm. of this year um, in the last game, and then in his post-game presser was wearing the Oscar Strong shirt, so I thought that was pretty cool. I appreciated that, um, and the last one, the one I saved for last, because I think, even though we've hemmed in hot about all of the other ones, I think this is, like, the closest series matchup, Boston-Tampa. Now, they're, like, on paper, pre-injuries, these are two really good teams. Tampa, arguably is the most talented team in the NHL. But Boston has that perfection line, they call it, which is Bergeron, Marchand, Pasternak. Um, and then, of course, they had, like, I guess that on paper pre-injury and pre-everything have, like, Tuka Rask and all that. But the thing, I don't think people give Yaroslav Halak enough credit for his skill as a goaltender. There is a, a, a verb in hockey lore called getting halacked. And it was basically Montreal one year, I believe it was Montreal, had like no business being a, a playoff team. And they were. And Yaroslav Halak like single-handedly took them through a few rounds, just being absolutely a dynamite. So he can carry a team. Um, obviously, this was many, many years ago, so he's a little older now. But that's interesting. But then even like Tampa has um, – Steven Samkos is out. Victor Hedman has been hurt, so who knows how much percentage he's at. Same with Boston and David Pasternak has been, like, in and out and hurt and stuff like that. I'm inclined to go with Tampa. I think there was, like, a demon exercise beating Columbus. The one thing that I think I heard Steve Dangle talk about, which I think is a very fair point, 
So Tampa's first game against Columbus was that five overtime game. Yeah. And it's like, it's hard to know if that had an impact because for them, the rest of the series, they were playing, they were also playing a team who had a five overtime game. But now they're playing a different team who Mm -hmm. didn't have a five overtime game. And that's a lot, like, that's almost three full games in one game. Yeah. So when you think about it, there's three there. And then I believe the series went five. So they played eight games in a series. And so you think about that. It's like if the fatigues factor, Boston could come in. I just, given Andre Vasilevsky over Yaroslav Halak and just everything, I'm inclined to go with Tampa. But this is like a powerhouse matchup. I feel like I should have made my picks after talking to you. (laughs) I picked Tampa. I picked them in five, though, just because Mm -hmm. I was – with Boston losing to Garask, I just – like, that factored in a lot. I just also, for some reason, don't like Boston. I don't know I don't like Boston either. (laughs) So I just didn't want to pick them either. Uh, One thing I did notice – with all these teams, it almost feels like every team only has one goalie. Like, usually, it, it like, usually going into the series, it'd be like, oh, the Stars only have Dobie, which is fine. I love Dobie, but it's almost like if he has one bad game, we have to go to the rookie, and I don't want to put the, I don't want to put the kid in and have him have to be in a blowout kind of situation. But I kind of feel like we're, the Stars are on even, footing ground with all of that just because it almost feels like every other team is in that same position honestly Tampa may actually be in the best regard in that because they have Curtis McElhaney or as Toronto Maple Leafs fans like to call him Curtis backup Laney because (laughs) he this and this is still a contention in Leafs fandom he they acquired him via waivers or something and he was their backup for Freddie for like one of their first good years and he was Mm -hmm. absolutely electric like he he for some reason really excels in that like back-to-back backup role Mm -hmm. it's kind of that's kind of a hard role to to do well in and then ever since so he was still on their team they had him they had oh what's his name um oh I forget but oh Jonathan Bernier I think and then they had um Garrett Sparks And two of those guys needed to go on waivers. And I think people defend, and I would defend the logic of Kyle Dubas saying, Curtis McElhaney had like a career year and is kind of old. Not kind of, he's like on his back half of his career. Same with Jonathan Bernier. And then it's like, oh, and we have, um, and I'm not even sure it's Jonathan Bernier, but there was a second person. And then, but then, um, Garrett Sparks is like younger so we're going to keep Garrett Sparks because we're whoever we like we're pretty much destined to lose the two that we put on waivers Carolina got McElhaney and then Philly got whoever the other one was and he split time with Pumer as a class share and did really well and then signed with Tampa and has done pretty well there too so I mean I think I'd give Tampa the edge that said you don't want Vasilevsky getting hurt because I don't think McElhaney is like a guy you want carrying you through the playoffs but at least they have like a backup yeah whereas like 
Boston now has a person who's never really played before in backup. Dallas has that situation. It just kind of seems like that's the the go. So the other one I guess you could say is um, New York has kind of done a 1A, 1B thing all year. Now Semyon Varlamov has played pretty much the whole playoffs. But Thomas Grice is a capable player. That said, you don't have to be an amazing goalie to play for the New York Islanders. Because it's the Barry Trot system. So. Right. It's, it's an kind interesting. Of, now with Colorado's, I'm assuming, was their number one goalie, seems to be injured and I don't think coming back soon. Mm-hmm. That also made me feel like, oh, maybe the Stars can win this series. And I think goaltending was always something the Stars had over Colorado because yeah. Colorado's goalies are Philip Gerbauer and Pavel Francouz. And I mean, they're good, but... They're not Bishop, Bishop yeah. Hudobin. Even with Bishop out, I would say Hudobin is the best of the bunch. Yeah. So, yeah. But that is our, our hockey preview. Of course, there'll be more to talk about. Um, now we have to do rant and rave. And I have to pull this up because I know I sent something to Morgan. <laughs> One night of like, this is going to be my rant. So let me pull that up. Morgan, do you want to go? I don't know if I have a rant this week. Did I say that last week, too, or did I have a rant last week and not I think you might have had a rant and not a rave. I, I don't think I have a rant this week. Let me, let me pull. Okay, and I don't, maybe it's because I feel like we ranted about everything already, so I'm like, eh. Do you have a rave? I do have a rave. Go for it. Okay, so my rave is um, something Laura influenced me on and that's a Rubik's cube which I never (laughs) thought I would ever want to do a Rubik's cube but after we recorded last week Laura was like doing the Rubik's cube and I was like fascinated and I'm a very stubborn person so part of me saw that and I was like you know what I've never done a Rubik's cube before I'm gonna do it just to have done it once in my life and be done with it uh, but then I got one and now I'm kind of obsessed with doing it every day I can't just do it from memory I can do the bottom row in the middle row without like looking anything up but then there's some other parts where I because there's apparently an algorithm which never knew that was a thing except like I thought people were just doing it just because they were smart enough to figure it out which I know a lot of people are and I envy those people who can just look at a cube and just freaking go for it um I still have to use the algorithm because I don't have it memorized so I have to go look it up on wired every time I get to a certain point and even then the frustrating part is if I mess it up somehow and don't realize how I messed it up and then I have to start over but I've gotten somewhat faster even just by doing reading it like I can do it in like an intermission and that feels super fast to me (laughs) and it's just like it's one of those things it's such a great like distraction like moving like you're using your hands a little bit and it's and you do like you improve so like for me when I did it I like it took me forever it would take me like an hour plus yeah so I get it and then you like you figure out okay here's how I do the bottom row and then the second and like you just gradually get more and more and it just is so like you can like feel yourself getting better it's so cool and it's like a good distraction from anxiety which we talked about because it's like obviously it's a puzzle but it also gives you something else to focus on that's and that's I my like big distractions of like when I'm really overcome with whatever at work or whatever is something that like you have to focus on so it yeah. has to take all of your brain power focusing on that mm-hmm. and 
like even if I have trouble figuring it out or whatever, for one, I like have stubbornness and it's like, I will get this. Exactly. But then for two, it's like, okay, even if I can't figure it out, like it's not the end of the world, it's just a Rubik's Cube, but it's so like takes over my mind that I then don't focus on other things. Yeah. So I agree. Like, it's so awesome. Did you find uh, your rant? I don't find my rant. I think we're just going to call this whole episode a rant. Okay. <laughs> and then, um, so I guess my rants will be like, hockey men behaving badly, like just grow up. Yeah. But my rave I wanted to talk about, now that we have like some teams getting eliminated and stuff, on Instagram there have been like reunion videos mm-hmm. of hockey players. It's so cute. Nathan Gerby of the Columbus Blue Jackets, he has like three kids or something. And there's, some, I saw it on Twitter, but posted on Instagram, like there's a gate like gate or something to his house so he was behind it and then they opened the gate and his wife is filming and his kids just like freaked and it was so cute like I love those and so that's been like a cool little fun thing it's like all of the reunion stuff and I think it kind of helps too because obviously it's always tough for players when they get eliminated in the playoffs and it's definitely Mm -hmm. still tough this year but I think having that like family like moment it kind of helps you not dwell on anything for too long yeah for sure anyways um we will be back I'm sure for maybe a quick hitter but if not we'll see you next all next week have a good week everyone bye guys